my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Mark Moss Show where we are talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about cryptocurrencies. We are talking about the decentralized revolution each and every week, bringing you the latest news, the education, and some of the biggest, brightest guests in the space so you can have all the information that you need in order to be prepared. Now, uh, things happen fast. Sometimes things happen fast, sometimes things happen slow, but uh, right now we have seen a lot of things, and unfortunately the price of Bitcoin is a little bit down. Uh, it's off its peak. It was as high as $69,000 and sitting sitting now trying to kind of recoil and grab some energy in the 50000 range as we speak right now, but don't fret, don't fret. Just a little break. I mean, we were literally a year ago at 30000 and today we're consolidating around 50000 which... Seems like a pretty good increase to me to go from 30,000 to 50,000 in a year. Uh, I'll take it. 
them is better than any other markets have done. Now, it did go up as high as 69,000 and it's down, but you're focusing on the wrong thing. Are you a are you a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of person, right? So think about that. Um, now, if you need any bit of hope, let me just give you a, a piece of news that broke this week. And then we're going to dive into something that uh, I'm going to have one of my good friends, Nick Badia, on. He's a USC uh, adjunct professor. And he wrote something that says, the price is truth. The price is always the truth. Now, uh, well, if you don't like the price where it's at today, <laughs> maybe you don't like the truth. Uh, but let's talk about where the price could potentially go. So um, if you you know, pay attention to money at all, chances are you've probably heard of Goldman Sachs. Uh, go ahead and raise your hand if you've heard of Goldman Sachs. Well, I can't see you raising your hand, so never mind. But <laughs> Goldman Sachs, unless you've been living under a rock, you know who Goldman Sachs are. They are the uh, financial firm in, in the United States and, and really in, in the world. Uh, you've either worked at Goldman Sachs and then the government and the government and the Goldman Sachs, and you're basically the same. And uh, you basically kind of run the world at this point. Let's just kind of say it like that. Uh, Goldman Sachs came out with an article this week, uh, just the other day, that said, despite Bitcoin's ebbs and flows, they believe Bitcoin could reach $100,000. Wow. As it's as they say, it's steadily pushing out gold's place in the store of value market. Hmm. They said after topping out nearly at seventy thousand in November, then Bitcoin decided to decline. As we talked about that, but Bitcoin uh, Goldman Sachs puts Bitcoin's float-adjusted market capitalization at just below seven hundred billion, or twenty percent store of value market. Um, assets that gain or stay stable over time, gold is presently at $2.6 trillion. So what they're saying is that um, the gold market is, uh, really, it's it's a lot more than that. Um, but, but they're talking about the percentage of gold that uh, people use. And typically, people would move to gold to what I call a chaos hedge. So whenever there's chaos in the markets, whether there's massive inflation, deflation, or whatever type of chaos is going on, then people would turn to gold, historically. What they're saying is Goldman Sachs, not me, although I agree, uh, what Goldman Sachs is saying that they are seeing Bitcoin taking up that store of value market that retail would typically go to, um, and now it's going into Bitcoin. Um, They say that it's about, you know, the the percentage of people, the percentage of the the market cap that people would go to for the store of value market is about 2.6 trillion. And... uh, they said that in the next five years, Bitcoin making up as much as 50% of the entire store of value market. So right now, um, the amount of Bitcoin or the Bitcoin is being used as a store of value. What does that mean? Store of value. Well, when I earn my money, I'm storing my energy to be used at another point in time. So for example, to break this down to kind of to a first principles level, if I was say digging a hole and I, I'm expending energy. So I, I, I consume calories. I, I eat food. That's calories. Those calories are energy in my body. I expend those calories, that energy by digging a hole. And let's say I have to dig a hole for four hours in a day to earn enough to give me my food and shelter that I need to survive. But let's say that then I decide to work an extra four hours. Well, I've worked an extra four hours. I expend an extra four hours of energy. Now I need to be able to store that energy in a way that I could use at a later date in time. So now I could use that energy for tomorrow and I don't have to work. All right. So it's, I'm storing my wealth, storing my energy, storing my value to be used at a later date in time. Now, typically people do that with money. So you earn money, you don't spend all your money, you store some of it. 
But money, uh, currency, dollars are the worst, are a horrible store of value. It's a horrible place to store your value because that, that value leaks. It loses value very quickly. And so most people realize this, which is why they're scrambling to buy anything they can as fast as they can, including homes, including cars, including stocks, including Bitcoin or mountain bikes or kayaks or whatever <laughs> it else is that you want to buy. Toilet paper. Some people are stocking up on toilet paper. So what they're saying is the store of value market uh, typically has, historically has been gold, but now Bitcoin is overtaking that. And they believe that over the next five years, that store of value market that gold is pr pr you know, pretty much dominated uh, is going to be um, more people will move into Bitcoin. And they think over the next five years, as much as 50% of the store of value market would go into that and they would put the value of Bitcoin at around $100,000 on an annual return of about 20%. That's pretty dang good. I'll take a 20% return, uh, especially uh, when you average it out over, over that time, uh, especially when you look at gold, which has dropped 3.6% in 2021 um, as part of a the biggest annual decline since 2015. So while gold has dropped 3.6% during one of the most chaotic periods in history, um, one of the highest, as a matter of fact, we hit the highest inflation level that we've seen in 40 years, in four decades, the most inflation and gold lost value. So it's not hard to understand why people would rather store their value in something else. Uh, they want to say that gold and crypto, when you start to think about them, there's a lot of the same attributes. Um, he said that uh, there's a finite supply. There's only 21 million they say in this article, crypto coins, uh, that only 21 million crypto coins can be made. So you've got this finite supply, just like you do with gold. That is not accurate. I'm going to call them out. <laughs> There's a lot more than 21 million crypto coins. There's only 21 million bitcoins. So as I like to say, Bitcoin, not crypto. Uh, I said in a previous segment that just like gold has certain attributes and properties, and there's lots of other metals palladium and platinum and silver and rhodium and chromoly and steel and aluminum, blah, blah, blah. Um, only one has the attributes that gold has. And just like Bitcoin, um, there's about, I don't know, 15,000 cryptocurrencies, but only one has the attributes open, borderless, permissionless, sensitive, resistant, immutable, etc. And so to his point, this finite supply, Bitcoin only has 21 million other cryptos have more, but that's the same as gold, right? In order for something to hold value, it has to be scarce. All the all the, the the basics of economics all is based off of scarcity, which of course we all only have 24 hours in the day. And so our time is based off of scarcity and everything that we do in order to push our lives forward is based off of that scarcity of time. And there's more people than there are resources. Resources are finite, which means we have scarcity and resources, which means that we're all competing for more resources. Um, and so when you have an unlimited money supply, when they can literally push a button on a keyboard and print up trillions of more dollars, it messes up this whole system. But that's why gold has worked good for 5,000 years because of a finite supply. Now, it, there is new gold coming out of the ground on a regular basis, but Bitcoin is programmed to never have more than 21 million coins. Now, some people say, yeah, but can't that be changed? Um, theoretically, I suppose it could, theoretically. Realistically, probably not. Um, in order to get that changed, it would, it would take um, basically an attack on the network. It would uh, go through probably a year of battle. 
And if that happened, it would probably destroy the network, but we would know well in advance if that was ever going to happen. Uh, and we'd have plenty of time to figure that out. Of course, like I said, that's theoretically. Realistically, probably not. Um, but that's uh, the price. Now, like I said, we're going to have uh, Nick Badia coming on as a USC professor, and he is going to talk to us about the price being truth. And then we're going to talk about um, something that I'm super interested in, which is, is the Bitcoin ETF and the paper supply of Bitcoin going to artificially suppress the price of Bitcoin? Something I'm worried about. I'm going to be right back with Nick in just a second, uh, talking about price is truth and what's happening with the Bitcoin ETF. So don't go away. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we are talking about Bitcoin, and we are talking about this decentralized revolution. And I am joined in the studio now by one of my good friends, Nick Batia. You can find him on Twitter at Time Value of BTC. That stands for Bitcoin Time Value of BTC. And um, <laughs> Nick is um, the author of a book called The La- uh, Layered Money, which is an amazing read. I think uh, was it? I think Preston Pish said it was like one of his top books of the year. I think that was that was pretty amazing. He reads like hundreds of books a year. So good job on that, Nick. Um, and Nick, you're also a uh, adjunct professor, I think, of economics at USC. Is that right? That's right at USC Marshall School of Business. Yeah. So. Uh, you are somebody very credentialed to talk about this. So thanks for joining me today, Nick. Of course. Good to be with you, Mark. So um, something I want to talk about, I know you talk about price is truth. There's all The price takes into consideration all of the data that's out there. And something that uh, I've been concerned with for a couple of years is these ETFs coming into the market. Um, Caitlin Long has been talking about this. And um, you have a little bit of a contrarian view to this. Now, my fear with this with this Bitcoin market is I believe that, <clears throat> maybe it's too simple, but price moves off supply and demand. So uh, if there's more, you know, whatever, you know, more demand than, le- than supply, then the price goes up. And so if I was an institution or a hedge fund and I wanted to put a billion dollars into Bitcoin, I'd have to buy a billion dollars, take a billion dollars off the market. I take supply off the market. I'm putting demand into the market. The price should rise. But if there's a paper market for ETFs like we have now, there's no. It's all. It's all uh, spot, right? There's or there's no. It's there's no cash settled. I mean, I'm sorry. It's cash, not physically settled. So all I'm doing is betting on the price of Bitcoin. I'm not actually buying Bitcoin the way I understand it. And so that means instead of putting my billion dollars and taking a billion dollars of Bitcoin off the market and and messing with the supply demand metric, now I can just put a billion dollars betting on that and it artificially um it gives them artificial bitcoin it doesn't affect the supply demand metrics but you don't necessarily agree with that give us your take on that so yeah i think that bitcoin is very unique in that it trades across all these exchanges around the world now we we do have paper products derivative products etf products call it you know let's call them all paper products okay uh, these are Bitcoin substitutes, not Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin itself trades on Coinbase Pro, Bitfinex, Kraken, all these exchanges around the world. And these exchanges, these large reputable exchanges have longstanding reputations of being able to satisfy withdrawals, no matter what the size is. And for that reason, the price that we see on those exchanges is the real Bitcoin price. The fact that ETFs and futures all trade at, and, and even Bitcoin futures on exchanges like Binance, 
all those prices trade along with, let's say, the Coinbase and, and Kraken price. That means that the market of Bitcoin is efficient uh, across multitude of platforms. You can have small arbitrage and people and there are all there are um, strategies that are dedicated to arbitraging the price just between exchanges because you can you know find ten hundred dollar differences and go long and short and arbitrage that trade. But the fact that these large Bitcoin exchanges have satisfied withdrawals for years and years means that those prices are the real Bitcoin price. And whatever, you know, and I respect Caitlin a lot and she's a friend. What, what she's saying is that there are all these paper products and you can have, you know, unlimited, theoretically unlimited leverage to short Bitcoin through these paper products. While I believe that, you know, that is in theory possible, it doesn't mean that what the price that we observe is not the real price. And that's what we're saying when price is truth here. The price does factor in everything that we know about Bitcoin, including that there are paper products and people can go naked short through derivatives that aren't, you know, backed by any real Bitcoin. But, you know, on the exchanges, if people withdraw and the Bitcoin is there at the price that's given to them on the screen, then that's what the Bitcoin price is. Okay, so it sounds like maybe there's two different conversations going on here. So you're saying that uh, whatever is happening through all these exchanges and paper markets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the price is the truth. The price summarizes uh, everything that's going on out there, which, which obviously is, is obvious. Yes, that is the truth, and I get that. I think what she's saying, and not to put words in her mouth, but I guess I, I'll say what, what I have a concern of is while the price may be truth, and, and actually I, I say the price is truth, I agree with you on that, uh, that doesn't mean that the price isn't suppressed being the truth. So the, tr- the price is the truth, but, but, the, but the price could be manipulated uh, because uh, now we've inflated the supply through fake paper markets. So even though the price is the truth, couldn't it still be artificially suppressed? Of course. And, you know, that's the other side of it is I'm not even arguing that it can't be suppressed or that, you know, it could be higher if it wasn't wasn't absent for these instruments. But that's not something that we can do anything about. It's not something that we can change. Um, The financial powers that be, if that's their strategy to suppress the price of Bitcoin or some, you know, large whale trader, that's their strategy to suppress the price of Bitcoin over the long term. That's not something that we can change. And um, it's not, I think, you know, we get a lot of um, uh, background and context from this, from the gold price suppression scheme and uh, the London bullion trade and, and how that's worked over the last several decades. And that does energize some of this conversation. So I do want to acknowledge the work done by GATA and the discoveries that were made in how paper markets are used to suppress the gold price and have been for years. Um, But gold has also risen in price despite that. Gold has taken a geopolitical importance in the last 
15 years since the 0708 financial crisis because of that Russia China are you know making huge geopolitical moves because of gold still despite whatever London price suppression scheme is going on and so bitcoin will also charge on in the face i just my point is that i'm not really concerned about whether or not the bitcoin price is being suppressed to these instruments because it is uh, a, a a market that has a transparent settlement mechanism a very transparent the most transparent of all time so we should celebrate that and um you know it's it's just not a concern to me yeah Okay, I want to I want to dig into a couple of those things that you talked about there that I think are uh, a couple good points, uh, questions that I have while talking about that. Uh, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin and and the decentralized revolution. I'm in the studio with Nick Badia. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Time Value of BTC. Uh, we're talking about uh, Bitcoin. The price is truth. We're talking about uh, this this new ETF paper market and the possibility of it suppressing the price. Uh, we're going to dig into more about that and some of the risks. Um, So don't go away. We'll be right back. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. Is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, welcome back. You're listening to The Mark Ma Show. We're talking about Bitcoin, and we're talking about this decentralized revolution. And today, we're digging into uh, a little bit deeper into the inner workings of this financial system. I'm in the studio with Nick Badia. You can find him on Twitter, at TimeValueOfBTC. Um, he also writes a newsletter. Well, he's an adjunct professor at USC, um, and he also writes a newsletter that I've been reading. And if you're interested in these topics, you should subscribe. Nick, what's the name of that newsletter? It's called The Bitcoin Layer on Substack. The Bitcoin Layer on Substack. I recommend each of you go out and subscribe to that. It's so much information. Uh, it's too cheap, Nick. I'm going to talk to you about that later. But anyway, um, back to what we were talking about, which is um, you know the, the price being truth and the ETF market. Now, to your point, um, you, you, you went in and kind of talked about the gold market. And you know, in the gold market... Uh, you know, estimates are there's potentially 500 paper ounces for every one physical ounce that's being traded. Um, you know, massive manipulation with naked spoofing and, and naked shorting and things like that. And we've seen JP Morgan pay out massive fines for things like that. Um, and so, you know, there's no doubt that that's, that's being done. Now, I get that with Bitcoin that even if you manipulate the price, it doesn't affect the network. It's still borderless, permissionless, censorship resistant, immutable, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I would... In my opinion, maybe one of the greatest risks to Bitcoin isn't that probably the two biggest risks, in my opinion, are one, that the nodes will become centralized if enough people don't run nodes and then, you know, Coinbase's and exchanges get too much power. That's, that's probably one. But the second one is that the price could be so artificially manipulated that people would lose interest. And then countries that like take, take action like El Salvador, for example, if the price gets dropped in half when they've put their whole money into it, no other country's going to follow suit. So I think th there is a risk there, in my opinion. And so I see this a possibility to manipulate the supply and demand and manipulate the price could have an effect. And I know you said it kind of is what it is, um, but uh, I guess it is what it is. But do you see that as being a risk? I mean, do you see that if they build up this paper market enough that they could that they could use that to artificially suppress the price over long term? So another aspect of the whole price is truth thing is that uh, the price tells a story through time. So I look at, I use price charts to, tell me what's happening through time. And I look at Bitcoin's price chart and I like to use realized value as uh, realized market cap as one of my metrics that anchors uh, how I'm looking at the price. And mm, yeah, uh, the realized, you know, realized value of Bitcoin is um, in the thirties, right? That's today. what the, that's so the, the, M the MVRV. Yeah. So that's the ratio between the market value and the realized value. So right now we're, you know, at about one and a half. Okay. And what what that means is that we're at about, you know, 50% premium to what the realized value is. The realized value is a, a snapshot of where the Bitcoin price was 
when Bitcoin transact transacted on the chain itself, not necessarily on exchanges. And so it is a slower moving um, target of what Bitcoin's, let's say, fair value. I don't explicitly want to call it a fair value, but it is a valuation metric. Realized price is a valuation metric that we can use to think about Bitcoin over a longer time horizon, just like we use 200 day or 50 week moving averages to smooth price through time, realize value is a way to do that. So we're at about one and a half times realized value today. So, and for much of uh, 2021, we've been uh, approaching or touching up against these levels that are three plus. So a very extended valuation when you start to get to, you know, quote unquote, bubble territory for, for, for Bitcoin. So in the last 12 months, what can we observe from the price? We've, we, we observe that the price has gotten very hot at times and has cooled off to a point where it's still above this long-term fundamental metric. So where's the price suppression? Let's be honest. It's not, to me, I don't observe it. I, you could say if the ratio of market value to realized value was less than one for a sustained period of time and was exhibiting some random behavior, but it's not. Bitcoin has seen uh, huge rallies, which are very characteristic of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. followed by huge liquidations due to leverage. And we can actually see open interest in the futures market collapse, means contracts that were naked long go away when the price dumps. Yep. And all very normal and healthy market activity. Yeah. So where's the price suppression? I, I don't think that it's an argument we have to get into when we're you know looking about you know and yeah to caitlin's point and to credit her job is as a banker to make sure she offers a product that can you know she's a big advocate of proof of keys which means i have a bitcoin product i've signed this transaction to the bitcoin ledger where you can see i have the bitcoin for real right and so you can invest in my product with confidence. She's a banker. That's what she's trying to do and market. So that's her talking her book that we have to, you know, have these products that have proof of keys and not fake, potentially fake Bitcoin. And good on her for trying to do that. It's not my concern. I'm, you know, hold your own keys if you're really interested in protecting your own Bitcoin. And if you're not going to hold your own keys, demand that your custodians have proof of keys and if you're not going to do that then understand the risks of yeah. potentially paper bitcoin being fractionally reserved now um real quick if you could give us the the short version of what you mean by the real the market value versus the realized value so uh, the realized value is kind of the price point that people have received it at versus where the market value is today so the majority of bitcoin holders are actually in profit is that something like you're talking about yeah, so the majority of Bitcoin holders are in profit based on where what we observe from Bitcoin's blockchain. So separate in your mind that people trade on exchanges, but then they actually transact using Bitcoin when they, for example, withdraw from an exchange. So those on-chain Bitcoin transactions, when those happen, we strike the price and measure Bitcoin's market capitalization 
on a realized basis, meaning what the on-chain activity reflects. And then we have a market price, which is where Bitcoin trades on exchanges. And we can use the market price and the realized price in a ratio to give us context. It, it doesn't mean that the ratio should be one. It doesn't mean that it can never get to five. That's, it's just like we use price to earnings ratio in yeah. equities, right? We have the price, which is what the market trades. We have the earnings, which is the real number that the company publishes. And we have a ratio between them. And we can use that ratio to give us context and to make investment decisions sometimes uh, or to guide us or to give us some story or signal about what's happening. So I like to use, and I've written about that at the Bitcoin layer. The article was uh, called, The Four-Year Cycle is Dead, Long Live Bitcoin. Mm, Because um, I think that the four-year cycle is muting itself in a way. And we can observe that that with ratios like uh, MVRV. Yeah, I want to I want to dig into that article that you wrote. The four year cycle is dead. We'll talk about that um, because Bitcoin moves on these four year halving cycles. Every four years, the amount of Bitcoin being produced on a daily basis by the miners gets cut in half. And typically, people have looked at these four year halving cycles and then said, "Well, approximately eighteen months after you know the halving, the market peaks." But like, really, we don't have enough data to back that up. So I want to dig into that with you um, in a minute. You're listening to Mark Moss talking about Bitcoin in the studio with Nick Badia. You can find him on Twitter at Time Value of BTC. He's also the author of the book called Layered Money, which I've read and I love it. Um, I've referenced it quite a bit, so check out that book. And he also writes a newsletter, uh, thebitcoinlayer.substack.com. So check those out as well. Uh, we've been talking about um, the price of Bitcoin. Um, the market value of Bitcoin versus the realized value of Bitcoin, and then the potential for these paper Bitcoins, these ETFs to potentially suppress or manipulate that price. Uh, We're going to come back in a minute and talk about the end of the four-year cycle. Don't go away. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show, where we're talking about Bitcoin and talking about the decentralized revolution each and every week, trying to bring you the most up-to-date information, the education, and special guests to give you even more insight into the market. Understanding Bitcoin isn't easy. There's a lot of things going on, but it's worth the time. It's worth your time. It's worth your attention to put into it. I'm in the studio with Nick Badia. You can find him on Twitter at Time Value of BTC. He's the author of the book called Layered Money, and he writes a awesome newsletter called The Bitcoin Layer at Substack. Check out those options. Um, now, Nick, um, you wrote an article recently. I, I subscribed to your newsletter, and everybody else should as well if you care about these subjects, which you do if you're listening. Um, and you wrote one called The Four-Year Cycle is Dead. And I and and I said before the break, right? We know that Bitcoin has these four-year halving cycles, um, and people have been trying to guess where the top is in the market based off of where we are in the halving cycle. Uh, you say the four-year cycle is dead. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. So Bitcoin has uh, in 2013 and 2017 had these massive run-ups in in parabolic increases in price, and they correlated perfectly with a uh, lag after the halvings, which are when, you know, uh, every four years or so, when Bitcoin supply increase uh, halves um, and, you know, stays that way for the next four years. And it does make sense that as Bitcoin becomes more scarce um, and its demand is still increasing on a par- on an exponential adoption curve, that we could have these 
supply shocks and massive run-ups in price. And it's been a theory for a long time across Bitcoin in general that halvings lead to these parabolic increases in price. We would have another 80% uh, crash after that and you know this big winter bear market. But what we saw in 2021 is Bitcoin's behavior change a little bit, and it didn't it didn't resemble 2017 and 20, uh, 2013. 2021's over. Bitcoin had a nice increase. It was a less than 100% increase, um, but it had this long mini bear market during the summer, and um, it just it didn't follow that exact four year pattern that it had been showing. So. For that reason, I think the four-year cycle is dead. Doesn't mean Bitcoin won't respond in price to halvings anymore. Um, but the point of the article was to show that with much more sophisticated hedging tools, miners and market other market participants that respond to the supply shock of the halving itself can spread out their risk over products and over time yeah. the time aspect is really key here it's not just that you can hedge using the options market or the futures market it's that there's a whole risk curve and option curve and you know six to 18 months out options and futures products that you can engage in to mitigate your future price risk if you are a physical user of bitcoin itself and that sophistication of the hedging market reduces volatility around the having events, yeah. even if measured on a four-year period. And so having still might have a huge effect on price, but this whole idea that every four years we're going to have a massive bubble and a massive 80% crash uh, might be over, um, but still expect you know, large yeah. volatility from Bitcoin uh, yeah. for the time being. Well, I think, um, you know, in the past we've seen, you know, huge drawdowns, 90% drawdowns, 80% drawdowns. And we've always expected, I think most people have expected that as Bitcoin continues to get bigger and bigger, that the volatility goes down, down, down. And so we've gone from 90% drawdowns to 80% drawdowns. And this year we got a 50% drawdown. I mean, it wasn't small, right? And so maybe that was the maybe that was the 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 big crash that we were expecting a fifty percent drawdown was you know like I said that, that's that's nothing small. Um, another thing that I was thinking though, when as you were talking and, and you were talking about these these supply demand um, metrics kind of changing and some of that based off of these products that are available for them to hedge their bets, which, you know, a lot of these future markets actually got their start from farming where they did have to hedge their bets, right? They didn't want to have a bad crop year or something like that. Um, but also something that I've been noticing is specifically in the miners that are mostly affected by this, this, the supply demand is that, um, you know, just in the last several months, we've seen six or eight different mining companies go public and raise hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And so they're raising basically almost free money, free debt, um, and they're going into mining and their goals are, they don't, they don't need to sell that Bitcoin anymore. So they have the products to hedge on one side, but on the other side, they've also used the market and the, the low, low rates to raise this debt where they don't have to sell the Bitcoin either. And so that's got to dramatically change the markup. And then you have that, that dynamic, as well as the institutional players that have come in, you know, the Michael Saylor being the kind of main archetype there. And he's like, I'm never selling. 
And when you have these institutional players, you know, Warren Buffett's owned Coca-Cola for like 60 years, right? Like they don't come in to just buy and sell real quickly. So I guess the the makeup of the buyers, uh, the change in the mining, and then the uh, products being available, like you said, probably all play into just changing the dynamics of that completely. Yeah, we we have a, a new market structure in 2022 than we did in 2017. It's just uh, different players. The size is um, unlike anything we saw five years ago. Uh, we have public companies. You mentioned Sailor. Uh, he did a great long interview with Peter McCormick, who I know that you just went on. Yep. Um, and they talked about the IPOs of mining companies, and it really um, it, it shifted my thinking about it a little bit. Where uh, basically the importance of these publicly traded mining companies, the prospect that they may never sell, and the prospect that as public companies they're also financial engines, and therefore can turn debt. You know, they can print their own money in the form of stock. They can print dollars in the form of debt and buy mining equipment, hoard Bitcoin. It 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 does bring this whole new dynamic to the Bitcoin market, um, where it's we're institutionalizing this idea of hoarding Bitcoin and storing it as digital energy, and um, it's it's a very exciting time and it. The four-year cycle is dead doesn't mean that we're not going to have bull markets. It just means that the nature of Bitcoin's price is going to, it's not going to be the same as 2013, 2017 ever again. It's going to be something different. It might have been accelerated from four to three years, like you said, like three and a quarter years, because we had that 50% drawdown pretty early on in, in 2021. And um, we'll see how it behaves, you know, in the next halving. And, uh, you know, that's why we're here watching Bitcoin every day. Yeah. Uh, Michael Saylor, I think it was Michael Saylor who said, uh, all your models are broken. <laughs> like every, everything's changed. Right. And, uh, I, I love that. I, I constantly say that the world we're going into is not the same as the world that we're, that, that we've left behind. Um, you know, we're, we're in a, in a different market cycle. We have the fed, you know, driving policy and, um, different, different stores of value like Bitcoin coming out. And so, um, anybody who's using, you know, 50, 60, 80 year old history to try to kind of project where we're going. It's different. And, and same with Bitcoin, right? I mean, uh, it's too new and things are changing too fast to constantly say, well, it's going to happen exactly the same way. Um, I was just uh, before the segment before you came on, I was reading an article. Goldman Sachs came out and said that they expect uh, gold to continue to steal the store of value uh, portion from gold. And they think over the next five years, you could capture 50% of the store of value that gold has. And they put it up to $100,000 in five years, uh, which I think is very low in my opinion, but I don't have a crystal ball. So I'm not trying to put any predictions out there. Um, do you have any predictions? <laughs> real uh, real think, quick before I we got to wrap Bitcoin, it up. I think Bitcoin is headed to a million dollars over a decade, a decade time horizon. And that that's the way that I think about it. So 100,000 is in the cards. So is half a million. Yeah. So is a million. It's just... It's a matter of time and it's just going to take a long time. Got it. Got it. All right. I, I, I think a million in 10 years is good too. Um, I'm in the studio with Nick Badia at time value of BTC. Uh, check out his newsletter, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin layer on Substack, his book, Layered Money. Uh, thanks for listening to the Mark Moss Show. Catch you next time. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. 
Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way. Is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 